Uh, This morning's reading is from uh, Mark's Gospel, and we're reading from uh, verse 1 to verse 25. It's quite a long reading, but it uh, juxtaposes two pivotal moments in the life of Jesus, starting at verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely, surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. 
Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Amen. We are coming near the end of Mark. We've been in it since January. And I guess as we come now, we're going round the last bend. And Mark has got himself very much focused on the cross. And these two stories that Francis read seem to be leading uh, into that. Um, it's interesting because what we find in these verses, if we look at them very carefully, and I have to confess... I'd never looked at them very carefully um, ever before, is what is going on in two kinds of ways at this moment in the gospel, one of which seems to me to feed right into the context of where we are in our own calendar at this time in Northern Ireland. And that the first thing is that all these pilgrims would have been coming up for the Passover, and as you can read, you hear in those first couple of verses, that they're not sure that they want to kill Jesus because there might be a riot. There's tension in the streets. The Jewish people are coming up for pilgrimage. The Romans are around the streets trying to keep some order. There's a little bit of who's right, who's wrong, who's going to overthrow who, who's in control of who. <clears throat> and there's the possibility that at any moment there might be a riot on the streets. If somebody just loses their cool about their identity, then we might find ourselves on the news. As I thought about it and considered that this is only the second time in 20 years, of, the first time in 20 years that I've preached on a Sunday in July, I thought, is this text that we've got to right on the context of the 11th and the 12th of July. Here around Jerusalem, we find the same kinds of tensions. In those days, probably not so easy for everybody else to clear out, as happens here over the last few days. I drove up from Ballycastle. Brent had been up to see me during the week, and he'd sent me his time from door to door. Very dangerous, youthful thing to do, but I had it in my mind the whole way home yesterday. Could I beat Brent's journey home? Knowing that I was closer to Ballycastle probably than he was. But I couldn't believe how easy the journey was because by the time I got off the Ballycastle line onto the Portrush Bally Money line, I realized there's hardly any cars on the road. And it seems to me that much of Northern Ireland has cleared out maybe as a result of the tensions of the late 90s and the early part of this decade. But we're in that kind of moment where we're frightened at times. I was talking to the said uh, Church of Ireland minister beside me, who is a very charitable man, and we will not blame him for the cutting of the grass. Um, that was our own fault. Um, but he said to me that the last time he'd went to a 12th of July parade, um, as a minister, he said he was at the front of this parade as it started, and he said the noise of the drums literally 
frightened him. So if they frightened a Protestant Anglican vicar, what would it be like if you were a young person or a child in an area where these guys want to march down and it's not your community or your culture? And in the midst of that, there's tension that at any time might boil over. And that's the context of what's going on in these two stories. And it seems that in the, underneath that annual tension, no doubt, when the Romans were in control, there's something else happening this particular year. Because it seems as if the religious leaders are sort of dodging around the corners of streets, seeing if they can find Jesus or anybody that might take them to Jesus because they want to do it quietly and they want to get rid of him, but they don't want all of the people to know that they want to get rid of him because that and the tension might cause a riot. And while that's going on and they're joking around the streets of Jerusalem, here are the disciples underground, pretty much underground. Jesus sends them to find a guy who's going to do a sign by water on his head in order that the disciples would know who it is that has fixed this room, that they might go and have the Passover, although Jesus has more intentions for it than that, in this upper room. In the midst of the national tension, there's a tension between this community of Jesus' followers and the religious leaders who are trying to put him away. And in the midst of that, we have these two fascinating stories. The first the one that we're told we'll remember in Mark's gospel. Mark doesn't say, do this in remembrance of me and the Lord's Supper, interestingly. He leaves the memory part to the woman who has come in to anoint him for his burial, he says. It's interesting from this point to the end of the gospel, because from this point to the end of the gospel, the men are pretty darn hopeless. But it's bookended with women who somehow have the courage to do the right thing. And it would be good at times in our churches to remember that as we come to the most important part of the gospel for most of us, that it's the women who shine. And none of the men can be trusted. They're going to betray him. They're going to deny him. They're going to desert him. While it's the woman that seemed to get it. So this woman comes in with this expensive perfume and pours it over his head. Now you've got to ask yourself, as I've been asking myself for this last few days, is this some coincidence? That she does it and then Jesus recognizes it as Oh, this is like I'm being anointed for burial. Or is he telling us that the prophetic woman in the midst is this woman who gets it? She gets it. She's been listening. Destroy the temple. I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. Going to die and be raised. She got it. Whereas Judas didn't get it. Peter didn't get it. Thomas didn't get it. James and John didn't get it. They still thought he was going to have a political revolution. 
But she somehow intuitively knew and did the prophetic thing and anointed the king as Samuel anointed Saul and David. The prophet in the story is this woman. It's almost a Shawshank moment. You remember the night we did the gospel according to Shawshank Redemption and we looked at those moments in the midst of this awfulness where there was lovely moments of light, where he got them that cold beer up on the roof or when he played the music um, out through the library into the courtyard and everybody for a moment heard something different. Those moments in Shawshank Redemption, moments of grace to tell us that in the midst of awfulness there's always good things, it's one of those kinds of moments. This woman comes in and just gives everything that she has, total allegiance and love and sacrificial discipleship to Jesus. A costly statement of discipleship. But also a pointer to the events of the next 24 hours. If we move to the Last Supper and come to Judas after that, we find another moment when Jesus is again trying to show them, look, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been telling you. And this is the Passover. But from now on, these things of the Passover are going to become these things of my death. The way the lamb and the blood scattered shows freedom. I am the lamb. And this bread and this wine shows freedom. I am the new exodus. The liberation is going to move from the story we had of getting out of Egypt to my death and resurrection and our liberty and salvation through my death to the new kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And I've thought over the last week, we must get somebody who knows, maybe on one of our communion Sundays, to talk us through the whole Old Testament idea of Passover and how that moves in to this Lord's Supper. The story fusing in to the new story. Another pointer that is death's coming. And in the midst of all this, we have Judas going about his business. You see, as somebody said, if you looked at all the disciples and you gave them all a kind of a a sort of a study in leadership, Judas is probably the one that you would think, he would be all right. He knows a bit about money, seems to have be shrewd enough. He'd be a good leader. Send him to Union Theological College. The others, not so sure about them. Make sure you don't vote them onto the eldership. But when it comes to this, he's going about his business for what reasons? For what reasons? Well, I think it's interesting that Mark brings these two stories of one woman who gives an expensive outpouring of anointing to Jesus and another man who sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. One gives and one's trying again. But is Judas trying again or is Judas trying to do what we talked about in the prayers where Judas is determined that there's going to be a political revolution and that Jesus isn't going about it the right way So he's going to call Jesus bluff to cause him to overthrow. 
That's a possibility that some commentators talk about. That Judas has taken into his own hands the way forward for the people of God and the kingdom of God. Doesn't like this pacifist, we're going to die on a cross kind of talk from Jesus. So he tries to cause the tension to rise and the revolution to kick in. Is that what Judas is about? He wants the enemy shattered. He doesn't see the bigger picture that the Old Testament talks about the people, the Jewish people, blessing all the nations. He doesn't care about all the nations. He just wants the Romans bopped. He wants a bloody revolution where the Romans will get what the Romans deserve. Doesn't see this bigger picture of the Roman centurion who Jesus talked about, about having more faith than anybody in the whole land. Or, and it's not in Mark's gospel, but the Samaritan woman who Jesus... He doesn't get the things that Jesus was doing that showed that this was not just about the Jewish people, but this was a blessing for the world. He just wants a Jewish revolution. He wants to put Jesus into his own image of Messiah and leader. He takes it in to his own hands. And I wonder about the Judas within us. Brian Kennelly wrote a book called Judas, poetry book, this thick. And it's all about the different spirits of Judas that are within us. The different ways that we want to see our enemies shattered. Or the ways that we don't want to be sacrificed for the good of the rest of people. Or that we want to put on our terms who God is and what God's going to do for us. And I couldn't help but think with the text and the context about the 11th night and the 12th day. Sorry to be corny. But Judas was taking a traditional route. This is what the past told him might happen. This is what the past told him should happen. And Jesus was saying, no guys. This is all about death. The king's not going to be enthroned politically on earth. He's going to die and be raised to life that he might reign in heaven. This is a different route. This is a different way. But as we light bonfires tonight, and I say we, because I don't think that even though I imagine in Fitzroy that I'm not going to be in as much trouble as when I said some of these things in other places, but it's we, isn't it? We're Presbyterians. We're Protestants. So whatever happens in the next 24 hours, we can't wash our hands off it completely because it's part of our story. But are we taking the traditional route? We're right, they're wrong. A Protestant country for a Protestant people. 
We're just going to bless ours. Is that what the message is going to be in the next 24 hours? Because it's what Judas wanted. Or will we take the Jesus route, which calls us to love our neighbors, but beyond that, to love our enemies, to sacrifice ourselves to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to the Philippians. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Yes, we need to carry our faith and believe in our faith, but we need to carry it humbly. We need to carry it with God's agenda, not our own agenda. And we need to see that whatever the cross of Christ does and the resurrection of Jesus does is that it doesn't just bless one little community, but it's there to bless the world. And that we need to walk out into the 11th and the 12th and the 13th and beyond to follow the Jesus that the woman tells us is right and not the Jesus that Judas had made in his own image. So as we come to the cross over these next weeks, as we come to think about that, Whitney's going to do a couple more out of Mark and then I will draw a conclusion to it near the end of August when I come back from holidays Let us ask ourselves, what's this cross for? Who's this cross for? How does this cross and resurrection look in modern day Northern Ireland? Could it be at last, someday, that we will not be the proof that Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't bring reconciliation? But could we be a shop window for all those divided parts of the world who might look at Northern Ireland and say, there are the people who proved that Christ's death and resurrection brings down walls of division and brings peace and shalom to the streets round about. Rather than maybe for the last... How many years? Missionaries tell us that one of the reasons people don't look at Christ is because those people in Northern Ireland seem to kill each other for Christ. So where's Judas? And who's going to listen to the woman? Because when it comes to this part of the gospel, you're better off listening to the woman. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us when we try to manipulate you. Forgive us when we try to shape you into our image and give you our agenda. 
We pray, Lord, we might be like this woman who would just sit at your feet, give everything we have to you, and ask you to lead us into whatever the consequences are of following you. We pray you would make us a blessing to all nations and not the cause of tension and hurt and fear in the community that we live in. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Above the voices of the world. <laughs>